we've been programmed as humans to look at reviews when we buy $5 breakfast burritos. We're sure as hell going to look at reviews when we buy $250,000 software. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about how to increase your brand's discoverability and increase your lead volume, something everyone is attempting to do these days, especially as the MarTech 5000. And if you've listened to the podcast before, you know I have a Red button issue with it being called MarTech 5000 surpasses over almost 7,000 companies. There's no lack of competition and increasing awareness is a critical element. So today we're going to talk with Garrett Margut, CEO and co-founder of Directive, a leading B2B and enterprise search marketing company. Garrett, thank you for taking the time and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Chad. No, glad to be here and yeah, excited to chat about discoverability and hopefully how your audience, you know, can maybe even go to the the next level with some of these, you know, tactics and experiences and, you know, grow their own uh, lead volume. Excellent. So we always start the beginning of each episode, kind of an oddball question, just so people get a better sense for you. So, uh, and I don't know why I'm on this particular kick. This has been the question that's been bouncing around in my head, but what is one thing you're passionate about that those who know you mainly through work might be surprised to learn? So I have to have passion outside of this work, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love to golf. I uh, love to fish. I got a little uh, kind of deep sea boat. It's not a big one, but great to go out, you know, Catalina. Uh, I'm from California originally. I'm living in Austin, Texas now. I got an office out here as well as one in California. And so just kind of getting things started out here and kind of seeing what it's like to live in Texas and kind of mix it up a bit. But uh, no, I'd say love to golf. I was shooting like 120. Uh, <laughs> 12 months ago and I just broke 80, uh, nice. three months ago. So it took me about nine months playing every day, practicing every day. And I, uh, yeah, I just shot a 78. So I was hey, congratulations. yeah, thanks. No, I love being bad at stuff. I'm learning to, <laughs> I'm learning computer science right now. So every night, like I put down my, my daughter and my wife goes to sleep and I'm trying to figure out Python and <laughs> everything else. And yeah, no, I'm a, I love being bad stuff and trying to learn new things. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So now um, for our listeners, give them a little more context around Directive and, and how the company came to be. Yeah. So Directive is a search marketing agency. We do SEO and PPC and CRO, got conversion rate optimization, search engine optimization, and pay-per-click advertising, uh, mostly for mid-market and enterprise brands. You know, we, we didn't start that way. Uh, I started about five and a half years ago. I was selling $5 social media calendars on Fiverr. And yeah, man, I was slinging, <laughs> I was slinging Fiverr trying to get started. I think our first account was paying us a couple hundred bucks a month. You know, my very first account, I was driving around on my moped at a <laughs> 78 Peugeot 103 SP. I was nice. uh, 21. I just got my master's and, uh, I had applied to Boston, Bain, Deloitte and McKinsey and they all, said no. I got a, kind of an auto response and I said, hey, guys, I'll start my own consulting firm. Unfortunately, I didn't really have anything to consult on. So I kind of looked around. I figured all the people with money thought I knew the internet and digital marketing. I should probably learn it. Um, <laughs> so I just went out and read everything that was on it. And I was really just transparent. You know, I don't 
have a ton of experience yet. Uh, I'll work my butt off though. And, and I want to be the best at this. So I got a, I got a kind of falafel, like a Mediterranean shawarma type restaurant in, you know, a, a strip mall in East LA to hire me on. And I, I didn't know really any SEO or PPC at the time. I was, uh, got him set up on Yelp. I knew reviews were important. I was <laughs> helping him with pricing. He didn't know about a Facebook page. I was trying to learn WordPress to make him a crappy site. And, uh, you know, I worked my butt off for him. Came back on the 30th day for my check. He said, back, come back tomorrow. Whole place was boarded up. That was Whoa. the start of directive was legitimately just like that. And since then, yeah, we went from, you know, having clients who paid $200 a month to have clients who pay 40,000 a month. And, you know, we're getting blessed to work with some of the largest brands in the world, just trying to do really good work for people. That's awesome. That is an amazing story. That is an amazing story. Thank you very much for that. Um, so brand discoverability, it, you know, I've got clients work with companies that struggle, you know, not just starting a new business, but even going, if they're known on the East coast, going to the West coast. And I literally just had a call from a client, oh, I don't know, last week was, that was asking me, well, how do we do this? So this is a really timely cause I'm going to send them your way. Cause it's a really timely conversation. Cause I don't have the answer. I don't know. I'm, I'm sales and marketing, but not the, not brand awareness and discoverability. That's just not my gig. So yeah. let's start with an understanding because I'm a big believer that language is awesome if we all share as common definition. When we say brand discoverability, what do you mean? What is it? How do you define it? Yeah. So there's been this pervasive, incorrect, damaging thought that everything we do has to be attributable. Number one, I think it, it crushes me. Uh, and it crushed me historically because we don't give fair credence to human psychology and the fact that people have been in advertising for a long time without being able to measure it perfectly. And so we don't do certain things like brand building. We don't do awareness. We don't do any type of top of funnel marketing to drive affinity or awareness to our brands. So there's that part that's, you know, running uh, different types of campaigns. Most of us run lead gen campaigns across social media and places like that with people trying to download something or get their information. And, and the reality is, is those campaigns usually have a cost per acquisition uh, that's far greater than their buying intent allows. And so it, it, it creates a horrible inefficiency when you create a financial model, like something on customer acquisition cost. So that's one way of looking at it is saying just, Hey, if we're looking at customer acquisition costs and how much it costs to acquire customers, what's the most efficient way to do that? And I've found that through awareness and at the top of funnel and discoverability at the bottom, you can do it very, very well. So top of funnel awareness, you know, LinkedIn text ads, Google's display network, very small percentage of your budget. Like people don't know this, but like I spent a thousand dollars last month and I got over 15 million impressions on marketers in the country for a thousand dollars. Why would you not get 15 million impressions? Right. It's that. It's that affordable and no one's doing it because they're like, but I don't know how many leads it got me. And that's just not great logic in my mind. Number one. Then number two, people think that it's SEO kind of community's fault that essentially you can rank for any keyword you want. And it, you, it just comes down to how authoritative you are. But that's a lie. At the end of the day, you can only rank for certain queries if Google is saying that individual websites are the best answer to those questions. So what I mean by that is if the audience, for example, searches something like top ERP software, 
right? That's a purchase query. Someone is modified. They're looking for ERP software, but not any ERP software, the top ERP software. Primarily one could defer because they're looking to buy one. Thus, if you look at Google ads, that is going to be your most expensive cost per click is when you modify primary keywords related to your services or product with top, best, or reviews. That's called purchasing intent, and that drives up the auction price and makes those clicks expensive. So people have historically said, what if we ranked for those keywords organically? Problem is, is due to what I call the Yelp and the Amazon effect, individual (laughs) websites can no longer rank for those keywords. So if you look at top ERP software, you're not going to actually find any ERP software company who is ranking there. That's because there's third-party review sites. In software, that's Captera, G2 Crowd, Software right. Advice, GetApp. In professional services, that's Clutch.co, 10Best, Top This, Top That. In local, that's Yelp, Google My Business. In travel, that's TripAdvisor. Like the, in every industry, there's these essentially sites that take and aggregate peer review and peer feedback and say to the customer, this is what the company says they are, but here's what everyone else says they are. And we've been programmed as humans to look at reviews when we buy $5 breakfast burritos. We're sure as hell going to look at reviews when we buy $250,000 software. Right. And so Google's caught on to that and they've changed what ranks. So when I say you need to be discoverable, it has less to do about your website and everything to do about your brand. In other words, are you on those review sites? When someone is doing purchasing research and they're trying to make a buying decision, do you show up in all of those channels? Because if you do, and they've heard of you before due to your awareness campaigns, you're going to do exceptionally well. In fact, across our portfolio in 2018, we saw a 230% lower cost per proposal from third-party review sites than from Google ads for our customers. Wow. So, okay. So there's an interesting concept here and I've heard it a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, this concept of SEO. Now, any of us that have, that have been around a while, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you. I don't want to say I'm that old, but I'm a little older. Um, you know, there's some gray in the goatee, uh, but, um, you know, SEO was a big thing when, you know, the internet's all got started and we heard a lot about it, but it's something that I, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, correct if I'm wrong. A lot of companies don't really focus on. They don't think about it. It's almost as if it has this perception amongst marketers and and revenue generators that it's it's passe almost. When I'm on the other side of the fence with you, where that ability to create something that can be discovered because of the way Google changes or the way people consume content differently is something that isn't easy and needs to be done by people that stay on top of that. It's no longer a, oh, we'll just go hire somebody and they can figure it out, right? It, it seems to me it's a heck of a lot more complex than that and something that's often overlooked. Is Would, would you agree or disagree with that? It, no, it just depends what you serve. Like, So I service primarily mid-market enterprise companies and it's a really large focus of theirs. When I was serving smaller businesses, it was definitely more like kind of, they just get lied to by my industry, by people who just sell them. How many keywords do you want to rank for? You know, for $500, you get 500 keywords. Like you can buy keywords or some shit. Like they're just lying, you know? And so there's a lot of misinformation uh, that gets spread amongst the small business. 
now amongst the professional marketer. So like the most important moment in your consulting career is when you get to stop working with the owner because it gets so much easier. Like we are terrible to work with. We're the worst. We have unrealistic expectations. It's our money on the line. We're emotionally charged. We suck. You know, working with owners sucks. <laughs> but when you work with a professional marketer, right, who, who is going in and this is their job, they don't own the company, they're trying to do great work, they want to be great. No, they are very familiar with SEO and PPC. Now, maybe not how to execute it perfectly and the idiosyncrasies of it all, but they are not like, for the most part, they are well-informed. They're professional marketers. They're world-class, you know, professionals. And that's, you know, who we work, I would say, at Directive 99.9% of the time is we're working with professional marketers who have the best interests of their companies at heart, who are avid professionals that want to develop. Uh, and that's why they hire us uh, because we're not the cheap players in the space. Right. Uh, we're differentiated as such. But once you go past that mark and you go look at companies, you know, with less than 50 employees, yes, there is rapid misinformation and it's a tough situation, especially in local businesses. Local businesses are completely misinformed from my industry, which then creates, you know, bad purchasing decisions. They hire the wrong agencies, they get the wrong experience and they don't see results. And it dampers the entire industry because the bottom of the barrel is selling lies, you know, and, and that is definitely a tough part. And so those, those marketers went, I mean, SEO is part of a, of a much larger, you know, marketing strategy, of course, brand discoverability is, is a part of it as well. What are you seeing, uh, these companies struggle with? What are the biggest challenges? I mean, if you think about all the tech that's out there and then, I mean, there's so much that comes at even a professional marketer. Where, where do you see the companies struggle the most or, or things that they could be doing that could be improving their discoverability? They're not doing enough of their own research as their customer. That's the biggest thing. Like the second, if you're a passionate individual about growth and you go act like you're your customer, you're going to find countless places where you're like, Oh my God, we could be there. Oh my God. Why am I not there? Oh my God. Like what? Why? You know, and so the second you start looking as your customer, that becomes the foundation. Really all I'm talking about is customer centricity in your market. It's like when people are, when your customer is looking for you, do they trust you or do they trust other people? Uh, other people. Okay. Yep. Okay. And so if you were to trust other people, how would you search? Would you look for things like reviews or best or top? Yeah. Okay. Have you done that for yourself yet? No. Okay. Let's take a moment. Let's do that. And, and when you do that, you're like, Oh my God, I could be all these places. And I'm like, yes, that that's the future of search marketing is about understanding your customer and then positioning your brand to be discovered as many places as possible. And it, it gets a little deeper than that, right? And the deeper part goes to this concept that we're all guilty of, myself included, and we do not give credence to what's called diminishing marginal returns. So let me give you a perfect example that I've said and every person in the history of their learning curve of working in advertising and marketing says, and that is, hey, look, we want to start small. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, once we see success, we're gonna, we want to spend. Okay. In almost six years of doing this industry, I've never had someone actually do that ever. Okay. It's a lie we tell to ourselves. And I've never seen someone actually do that where they genuinely start small, see success, and then spend a lot of money. Cause usually their businesses aren't built for that, whether that's operationally 
or financially and they don't have enough cash on hand or they don't have enough capacity, okay? What I've also seen though is people who are spending a lot and want to grow their spend, okay? Let's talk about those people, the people who are actively doing search marketing. What we traditionally do is we see success with 20 keywords and we say, let's go after more keywords. We already have full search impression share. And what I call that is that's called beta. In other words, you have your alpha that's worked in your Google ads campaign. And now you're going after beta. You're trying to go get new customers by targeting new keywords and showing up in new markets and new places. Almost always those campaigns underperform. Discoverability says instead of launching more keywords on Google ads, let's mine our search term report. Let's find the terms that have the best cost per acquisition. And then, hey, let's integrate that into your sales force. So I get directive. We integrate our clients' campaigns doing what's called offline conversion tracking. Then we can set up a full customer acquisition cost model and say, based on your close rate, gross margin, average retention, and your LTV, all these things, here's how much you can spend to acquire a customer. We're going to sync that data up directly with your sales force. And then in real time, layer your manual cost per acquisition or your CPA targeting with Salesforce data. And then we're going to start to teach Google smart bidding how to be more effective. Okay. But that's all still within that platform. And I know that Google ads has a two to 3% click through rate on any keyword on average. So instead of going and putting more keywords in Google, what if I found my top performers and I looked at that search engine results page and said, where else could I advertise? In other words, Why not go be number one on Captera, which ranks number one on organic and has a 30% click-through rate, aka I could 10x my client's volume. And then what if Captera has a cheaper cost per click than Google? Now, not only did I grow my client's volume, I also lowered their cost per acquisition. And by doing so, that's how we work with some of the largest brands in the world and rapidly grow their pipeline and their revenue by simply reallocating spend to third-party review sites. And instead of betting on things that haven't been proven yet, we double down on the things they've already done well at and take market share throughout that search engine results page for their most profitable terms. Okay. And so when we, when we look at it that way, I mean, that's, that's a, it's a bunch of analysis and critical thinking and things on the back end. It's all the tech side of it. Where do you see the human element show up in brand discoverability? I mean, you've already mentioned, you know, we lie to ourselves and say, I'm going to spend a little and then a lot. Right. But I'm, I'm curious if you see, you know, the review sites, sometimes it's about the services they had. Sometimes it's about the individuals they interacted with. Is there a need to increase overall awareness, that customer-centric view inside of organizations to increase brand or better increase brand discoverability as well? Yeah, I mean, you have to get your whole team on board too with like review building. You know, like you have to, customer service, the people who are actually servicing the, the customers have to recognize the value, right, of growing those reviews growing that reputation as well. So there's no, there's a, I mean, there's so much to it. I think the nuance is simply find the areas that you're more, most successful. And instead of saying, how can I go find other similar areas and grow that way? Say, how can I grow in that area? I'm already a winner at by simply showing up more often. Have you seen companies struggle with that, creating that awareness? Cause I mean, the tech side, you know, that's, that, that's, I don't want to say it's easy because it's extremely complex, but that's it, one element it of it. Straightforward. It's not that it's easy. It's straightforward. Right. Straightforward. So, but, but then you have to combine that with that customer centric view. And I think the large organizations that we work with, I think everybody says, Hey, yeah, we love our brand, but they don't internalize and think about 
that they are a, a physical, re- they're a human representative of that brand and those impressions resonate across, you know, your potential customer prospect base just as much as the reviews will for somebody that's going out and looking for it. Do you guys do anything with organizations to help them increase that awareness or, or focus on the, the customer centric side? Um, no, because I wouldn't say like, we're not a consulting firm that goes outside of our lane. We're kind of a best of breed. You hire us to do search marketing. And then if you want us to raise awareness internally and build out like a search marketing center for excellence, a thousand percent, but the set, we don't kind of, we don't cross past that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like, absolutely. For, like, I don't think that the future of agencies is being a generalist. I think the future of agencies is being the best in the world at a set channel. And even with it's difficult, it's even difficult to be the best in the world at both SEO and PPC, let alone, right. you know, also that. So, uh, you know, for us, we, we kind of have stayed away from that, but I do think there is a ton of value in driving a different culture, a culture that says, you know, we need to amplify every one of our customer experiences and then grow our brand. Excellent. And so as you look into 2020, as we look at, I can't believe it's almost, I can't believe it's almost I know, right? already. It's happening fast. I feel, I feel like I, it was just January 6th. Um, so, but when you're looking at 2020, what challenges are you seeing? Or are you expecting that you're, as you go to, you know, continue to be the best in the world at SEO and PPC, what challenges or changes are you expecting to see that you're going to have to be able to help your clients deal with? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the biggest hurdles we all face is content creation consistency. You know, creating content is very, very difficult. And we work with our clients uh, to help them strategize that. That's a, that's a difficult area. I think the biggest thing, though, that's coming is like, how do we stay relevant with the rapid technological changes that are occurring in every single industry, whether you're professional services or even technology yourself? And then how does that technology become a driver of your marketing? Like how can your product become your marketing is something that I think the greatest companies in the world right now that are growing the fastest, their product, their service also has intrinsic like flywheel effects and they're leveraging that across all their different marketing channels. Like what we're trying to do with our clients is teaching them like what proprietary data do you have from your product that we could then use for your PR and your content? Because what's happening right now is we all are writing content and doing marketing from publicly available information instead of private information and leveraging the things that we have that are proprietary. And so I think one of the biggest challenges, you know, we're doing is trying to help our clients be a lot more creative and strategic by leveraging the information only they have, whether that's through their copy, like don't say you're the best and have you the best customer service say we help customers decrease costs by 17.5% click here for the data. Like that to me, it's more compelling. It's is way authentic. more compelling. And authentic. Yeah. yeah. It creates differentiation. And I think that's one of the hardest parts now is with technology and everything that's happening. How do you get that data, that information, that differentiation of your company out of a silo and then instead spread that across every medium, every channel uh, and use that as your growth? You know, that to me is very difficult, but it's something that's, that's allowing great brand brands to even be better. Yeah. The, the authenticity and content, I, I like the transparency aspect, right? It, the proprietary. Mm-hmm. I, I think that is an extremely powerful way to go about it. Have you run into customers that are, that are uncomfortable being that transparent or, or, or leveraging that stuff? Cause you got to have a certain, you know, you don't want to put you, 
there was a day when people would put numbers out and you'd go, yeah, that's BS. <laughs> yeah. But now you have the ability to put out numbers and actually share the real data. Like, Hey, this is how we got to this number. This is what happened. Are companies comfortable doing that? Are you finding, or are they, are they concerned about being questioned? No, they are. What they're, what they're struggling with, especially in larger, larger organizations is, well, I don't handle that. That's really product. Um, <laughs> It's not my job. <laughs> it, it, it's really, yeah. It, and the, the reality is, is products like, dude, that's the, what I, no, I, you want what data from me? I, no, I don't have time for that right now. And so, <laughs> you know, like at directive, we're, we're building what's called the skill pyramid where every person here knows how to do SQL. Every person here knows how to do storytelling. Every person here knows how to do data visualization. Every person knows how to blend data so they can look at SEO and PPC. And by building that skill pyramid, I'm trying to help us be the person that can bridge those two people in, in any one scenario. Cause it's not just product. It's also content. Like, Hey, well, Oh, content. No, no, no. We don't own the website content. We only own the customer content. So you, but I'm like, okay, can we get that content on the site? No. Well, that, that's not really, and, and everything that you try to do in an organization right now is siloed. Right. And, by increasing your available skill sets, you can say, Oh, no worries. I can help you with that. They're like, Oh, you know how to, you know how to do big data. You could help me. Oh yeah. No problem. I thought you were the SEO guy. Oh, I am. <laughs> and by being able to have that bridge between the different departments and buying centers and organizations within the organization, I think that's where you're going to unlock a lot of growth as a consultant because you can communicate cross-functionally uh, and get buy-in. And really, most organizations need help getting out of their own way, mine included, you know, and I think that's where you can make a big impact. Awesome. All right. So let's change direction a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions at the end of each interview. And the first is simply, as CEO and co-founder, that makes you an owner. That makes you a target or a prospect for sales professionals, for marketers. I'm always curious to understand if somebody doesn't have a reference, like there's not a trusted referral into you, how does somebody effectively capture your attention and earn the right to get 13, 15, 20 minutes on your calendar? What's the most effective way? They don't really with me, unfortunately. I don't even do it. Um, <laughs> to be completely honest, I'll go to them. So if you have your brand discoverability and I have a need, I will find you. So once again, I, it goes back to like, honestly, the reason I'm so passionate about what I sell is because like, that's how I genuinely believe people buy. That doesn't mean I'm the one who buys. Like I'm up at night at one in the morning trying to solve my problem. And so I'm looking around the internet doing research. Then I send three options and I send them to this person or that person who owns that functional area and they reach out. Sure. And then eventually maybe once they get down to the final two, I'll hop in the, ask some questions. But at the end of the day, if you're, if you're a functional executive who, who's built a good team, I mean, you really, for me, I, I don't really make any purchasing decisions because why make the decision if I'm not going to be the one using it, right? There's nothing worse than someone else making the decision for what you're going to use. And so I usually allow my functional leaders to make purchasing decisions. But that doesn't mean I'm not doing a ton of research on that to make sure we make the right decision. I'm just not usually the one directly interfacing, if that makes sense. Gotcha. All right. Last question. We call it our acceleration insight. There was one piece of advice you could give to sales or marketing professionals in this case. One piece of advice that if they listened to you believed it would help them crush their numbers, hit their targets, what would it be and why? Become an expert in what you sell. I think so many people want 
to do sales and marketing and not know what the hell they're actually selling. Like they go, <laughs> I'm being dead serious. It happens in my company. Like people go to a, to a ETL data company and they don't go take a 10 week course to become a master at ETL, even though it would have only cost them $40 a month on code Academy. Let's say <laughs> yet they want to be the best sales rep. And they're like, but I do the most calls. It's like, yeah, but you don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> the right person. And so your best buyers, the ones that are going to have the most retention, that are going to have the highest purchase price are traditionally your most educated buyers. Yet those people you have dissonance with because you use the wrong terminology, you say the wrong thing and you act like you know more than you actually know. And they know that. Right. And so the biggest thing for sales and marketing professionals is to become world-class at what you actually sell and what you actually market. And if you can do that, now you'll become the best in the world at your craft. Perfect. Perfect. Garrett, if a listener's interested in talking to you more about this, getting more information, where do you want us to send them? They hit you on LinkedIn? You want, where do you want them? Oh, to yeah. Go? I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, just Garrett Meridute. No one else got my last name, really. So you can find <laughs> me. Uh, uh, if you can spell it, it's M-E-H-R-G-U-T-H or Twitter. I'm on there a lot. If you want to, you know, talk about working with directive, just hit up sales at directive. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the sales guy anymore, but you know, I, I am involved in everything behind the scenes. Yeah. We'd love to chat with you. If not, just hit me up on LinkedIn or Twitter. If you want to talk, have questions, you know, I'd love to connect. Excellent. Excellent. Can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on the show today. Thank you. All right. Everybody does it for this episode. Check us out at b2brevexec.com. Share it with friends, family, and coworkers. Write us a review on iTunes. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.